The following audio is from Overland Park Community Church. More information about OPCC is available online at overlandpark.cc. Happy Memorial Day, everybody, and welcome to OPCC Online. We're glad you're here again this week. Do want to remember all those we've lost who've uh, served over the years, and especially this week in the kingdom, man. We want to remember our brother Ravi Zacharias. What an incredible apologist for the Christian faith, incredible man of the Lord. Going to be sorely missed, but so thankful we have everything he left behind to continue ministering to the body of Christ. And I'm thankful for his ministry, and I've certainly been influenced by it, as I know many of you have been as well. And so, uh, Sean, he was talking a lot about men, and we're getting that t- to that time where we're going to be having services. And he was talking about next week we're going to be meeting together. And there's truth in that, but we don't all get to meet together because um, with these crazy shelter-in-place, um, how we're opening back up the the state, man, it's hard to understand what they're expecting out of us. I mean, I look one day, and we can have like 90 people um, come. Like on the 31st, we were going to be able to have a service of 90 people because we're right there on the June 1st. It was opening back up to that, that amount of gatherings. I looked again, and it was like, no, they, they've implemented phase 1.5. And I'm like, what? Like, I didn't know we had a 1.5. I thought it went from 1 to 2. And then we were down to, well, you can only have 30 people. And then they changed that to 15 people, and the next week is 45. I'm like, how in the world, man? How in the world am I supposed to meet the expectations of the government when the government keeps changing the expectations, and I keep trying to make a plan, and it is extremely frustrating. It kind of reminds me of how um, my wife probably feels when sometimes she doesn't do what I expect. I was expecting her to do maybe for what time dinner would be. I was expecting something and she was expecting something else. And so we didn't ever clearly communicate. And so if she doesn't know my expectations, how can she meet my expectations? And sometimes when my wife does do that, um, which she often does it most of the time, exceeds it. Uh, but you, you, if you've been married over 20 years, man, you, you know, like you, you get little bumps in the road here and there. And I find that most of the time it has to do with expectations. What are her expectations? What are my expectations? And have we clearly communicated those expectations to each other so that we can meet them? And nine times out of ten, when you have conflict, that's not what you're doing, is you're not clearly communicating expectations so the other party in the relationship can't even, they don't even have a chance to meet those expectations. So it can be an incredibly frustrating thing. But when we know what the expectations are, man, we, we can kind of, we can, we can get and we can meet those expectations and we can exceed them and we can exceed the expectations a person has for us. And that just blows the other person away when that happens. And so when we look in the word, man, Jesus is clear about expectations. Like, there's no doubt. He leaves no room um, for us not to understand what his expectations are. And usually the reason we can't meet his expectations is because we're not looking to see what they are in the Word. We're not learning from him. And so this week as we jump in Hosea chapter 10, man, what we find is the Lord is communicating expectations once again to Israel. And so there's a lot of judgment in Hosea chapter 10, just like there was in chapter 9, chapter 8, chapter 7, chapter 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Judgment, man, is falling on the nation of Israel. And so that can, can kind of tend to be overwhelming and cause us to miss some of the nuggets that are in there because the, the judgment is so strong. And it's really similar in every, every passage. It's just the Lord is communicating very clearly why some of the things that are about to happen to the nation of Israel are happening is because they didn't meet the expectations that he laid out for them. 
And the same is true for us today, man, is the Lord has expectations for us. And if we know what those expectations are and we're learning from Israel's sin and we're looking at the historical account that God gave to us through the nation of Israel, really what we're looking at is God speaking through the prophet in the Old Testament. 750 years later, he's going to come and he's going to do it in person in the form of Jesus Christ. And he's going to give us expectations in the New Testament. And they're the same. They haven't changed. The only difference is is the power of the Spirit that now can fall upon humanity to give us um, no excuse whatsoever not to meet the expectations of the Lord. And so as we jump into Hosea chapter 10, what I want us to do is focus on um, some key verses and pull out some stuff to where we can learn um, uh, how to avoid Israel's sin and we can make sure, man, we're living a life to where we can have... uh, the most meaningful experience that we can and meet the Lord's expectations so that he and I, uh, we and he can be in a relationship with him and he's just flooding his um, blessing upon our lives and utilizing us in the kingdom to advance uh, his cause upon the planet. And so first of all, man, let's just jump into verse 1 because it's a real important verse. Um, and it says, Israel was like a spreading vine. He brought forth fruit for himself. As his fruit increased, he built more altars. As his land prospered, he adorned his sacred stones. And so right out of the gate, what we learn, man, is that Israel was like a vine. And God had he, he created the nation for purpose. And the purpose was for the nation of Israel to communicate to all the surrounding nations what God was like, that the world would know who God was and how he functioned as they looked at the nation of Israel. And they would be compelled to follow Israel's God because they could see how good he was because he was the one true God. And so God was going to give provision. He made promises and he said, this is how the covenant is going to work. Is I'm going to provide for you and you are going to be blessed if you walk in this, um, this way in which I've lined out for you. And you will experience the curse if you ignore it. And they had ignored it, and so the curse was coming upon them. And the nation was going to suffer consequences because they failed to meet the expectations that were clearly communicated from the Word of God. He didn't at any point in time expect them to be perfect, but he did expect them to walk in humility and walk in obedience. And so as he says that he's going to do that, he says, man, I'm going to provide for you. And he did provide for them. They went from nothing but a promise to one man to being grown into a nation of millions of people, to being led out of captivity in Egypt. Now they're a free country, and uh, they have their own set of laws, their own government, and they were allowed to have their own land that was promised to them. And God said, I'm going to give it to you. And Joshua went in after the passing of Moses, and he conquered the promised land. And God, he fought for them, and he gave them this land, this good land to live in. And he gave them this law, this good law to follow. And he provided for them. He provided for them even in their disobedience when they would walk in repentance and be humble and and continue to follow the Lord. The Lord continued to provide for them. But we learn here about Israel is in the provision as God continued to bless them, what happened as he brought forth fruit, it was fruit for himself. And as his fruit increased, he built more altars. As his land prospered, he adorned his sacred stones. So these were things that he invented, the nation of Israel, and he spent them on himself. 
And so the purpose was produce, to produce for God as a vine, to be fruitful. And what he ended up doing is as the fruit came in, he used all of the fruit that he obtained to just pour out on himself. And so there's the first thing that we learn from our text today. Then we jump down to verse 4, another really important verse that the Lord kind of like brought out to my attention this week. It says, they make many promises. They take false oaths and make agreements. Therefore, lawsuits spring up like poisonous weeds in a plowed field. Like poisonous weeds in a plowed field. I don't know if you've ever had any experience plowing, uh, but I've had my first experience in the last year or two engaging in a little bit of hobby farming and putting in food plots. And so you go in, man, you can take and, and take a field, and you can spray it um, with, with Roundup, and you can kill everything in the field and prepare it for harvesting. And I did that, man. I killed everything in the field. And then I got me a disc and I started disking up the field, man. And the field was looking all good and stuff. It's just nice dirt. And I was like, man, this is going to be an incredible food plot. And so then I planted my seed. And little did I know that seed could lie dormant in the soil for up to a hundred years. And these weeds came up with my seed and like there was grass that I thought I had killed. There was all kinds of weeds. And I ended up fighting that throughout the season to, in, in order to salvage my crop for future years. And so that's what the Lord is saying, man. It's like, he's like, we, we, like they, they make promises and they make oaths and agreements. And these, 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 these lawsuits, it says, and, and the, word for, the Hebrew word for lawsuits actually means disputes or conflicts. They just spring up like poisonous weeds, like noxious weeds. They're just out of control. And so you could just see in this that for the nation of Israel, their word was no good anymore. Their word with God was no good, and their word with each other was no good, so they had conflict all over the place. And so that's the second learning thing that we learned from this passage is, man, there's a lot of conflict uh, that was going on within their lives because of the way they were living. Then we drop down to verse 11 and 12, and we find out something, uh, again, really cool. It says, Ephraim is a trained heifer that loves to fret. Thresh. Ephraim, again, that's Israel, just another way to say Israel, referring probably most likely to the ten northern tribes. Ephraim, she's like a trained heifer that loves to, to thresh. So he says, I will put a yoke on her fair neck. I will drive Ephraim. She'll be the one out front that I'm going to use the reins, and I will drive Ephraim. Judah must plow, and Jacob must break up the ground. And so now he's got all 12 tribes in there. Everybody's going to be involved in this farming work. Is that Ephraim will be driven. Uh, Jacob, uh, will, uh, 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 Jacob must break up the ground, and Judah will be one who is used to plow. And he says, then sow for yourselves, um, sow righteousness for yourselves, and reap the fruit of unfailing love, and break up your unplowed ground, for it is time to seek the Lord until he comes and what? Showers his blessings on you. And so he's showing them in the midst of telling them that they're going to suffer all these consequences, what they should have done. This is a way to live. And when it talks about being a trained heifer who loves to thresh, what in the world is that about, man? Well, I'm reminded of the passages of Scripture that say, do not muzzle the ox when he's treading the grain. 
What does that mean? You don't put a muzzle on his mouth, you let him eat. And so they would use these cattle to tread the grain and, and make it to uh, fall away from the stock. But they would allow the ox to eat. So the ox loved this job. This was much more enjoyable than getting uh, the plow strapped behind you and having to pull that thing through the dirt and bust up all the ground. And so the trained heifer man loves to be the one who gets to thresh because he gets to consume um, some of the grain for itself as it's threshing for the farmer. And so what here, here's what we see is that Sometimes life is like that. Sometimes we're going through seasons of threshing. And we're threshing and, and we're consuming uh, uh, some of the, the, the stuff that we're threshing. And so th- some of the things of the kingdom we get to consume on ourselves. But the problem is, is when all we want to do is thresh and then we want to eat everything that we thresh for the kingdom and consume it on ourselves. That's what Israel was doing. And God said, you shouldn't have done that. And, he's, and now he's saying, you, you need to spend some time breaking up the ground, sowing righteousness, and seeking the Lord. And so we look at this and we see that when we engage in that kind of effort within the kingdom, that he will shower his righteousness on us. Now, what's cool to me is that Jesus talks about all of this. So we see, and what shouldn't be surprising, because Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So when God said this through the prophet Hosea, Like, it's the same as when he said it himself, except he was in living form, God in flesh, as Jesus was the Logos, and he gives us an explanation of God in his very being as he walked on the planet. God says this same thing 750 years prior um, through the prophet Hosea that he says when he is walking on the planet. And so what what, what we see this in is that he, he teaches all about this stuff in the vine, the good soil, seeking the kingdom and following him. And if you're very familiar with the, the Gospels in the New Testament, you know many of these parables and stories that Jesus used to teach with. And so what I want to do today is I want to kind of unpack them and let's like look into the expectations of the lion has for us in our lives so that we can meet those expectations and he can shower his blessings of righteousness upon our lives and we can be used in the kingdom to advance it as we have been called to do. And so the first one comes um, out of John chapter 15, verse 5, and a very important verse in discipleship or in the kingdom itself. And it says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Now, Jesus says, remain in him. It's the Greek word meno. It means to hang out with, to tarry, to spend time with. And so the idea behind it is, is that we get focused on remaining in Christ. And he becomes the center focus of our lives. And when we remain in him, he says, you will bear fruit. He doesn't say you might bear fruit. He doesn't say it's possible that you bear fruit. He says you will bear fruit. Now, what's interesting and fascinating to me is he says in in Hosea that Israel was a spreading vine. He brought fruit, fruit for himself, okay? Jesus says, I am the vine, and if you remain in me, you will produce the fruit that I'm looking for in your life. Not the fruit to spend on yourselves, but the fruit that I can spend on the kingdom, And that's the secret to living a life of abundance like the Lord talked about. He says, when you remain in him, you will bear fruit. But apart from him, you can do nothing. And so, well, what about people who do things in the world? They seem to be successful to me. 
They do nothing for the kingdom. If they're not abiding in the Lord, they do nothing for the kingdom. And at the end of time, or at the end of their lives, it all is burned up and it perishes because it will not pass through the fiery judgment of Christ. As he pierces his eyes upon the works of our hands, he will be looking for the fruit, the fruit that will last. And that fruit is fruit that is produced because we remain in him. And so we can do nothing that is of eternal value apart from Christ. So it's a very important thing for us to understand. Here's the second thing I want to point out is out of Mark chapter 4, verse 20. And it's the a parable of the soils. And he says, other, you know, and he says, you know, the farmer goes out and he he casts some seed, and some seed falls on hard ground. And some seed falls on rocky ground, and some seed falls in weedy ground. And then he says some th- seed falls on good soil. And he says about the seed in the good soil, he says, other seed, like, uh, others like seeds sown on the good soil, this is Mark 4.20, hear the word, they accept it, and they produce a crop, some 30, some 60, some 100 times what was sown. So what's the takeaway from the parable as Jesus is teaching that? Well, the apostles were confused when he taught the parable, and they said, man, what, what in the world does this mean? And so he explains it to them. He says, the secrets of the kingdom have been given to you. And the secret of the good soil is that when it is good and when it is worked, that it produces for the kingdom 30, 60, 100 times. That's it, man. Just plain and simple. Jesus teaches very plain and simple. When the soil is good, and the seed of the word falls on the heart of that good soil, and that soil is kept broken up and plowed like it talked about in Hosea, same thing. When it is worked, when it is plowed, and it falls on that good soil, it will produce 30, 60, 100 times. Like, the minimum is 30 times what, was, what went in. So 30 times toward the investment that we make into the kingdom with our lives, and we, we're looking and going, man, I belong to the Lord, I am his, I can expect a 30 times return for the kingdom, not for myself, okay? That's prosperity preaching. That's false teaching. Whenever you say, man, when you sow the seed and you reap 30 30 times for yourself, false teaching. It's 30 times for the kingdom. But if you get to be a part of the blessing of 30 times for the kingdom, it will blow your mind. And sad to say that there are many who have never even experienced one times growth in the kingdom. But we're supposed to be experiencing 30 times at a minimum. Some 30, some 60, some 100. Productive, man. Productivity within the kingdom. The good soil, when it is worked, it produces for the kingdom. And then the third passage is Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. Again, just kind of paralleling all of this to what we find in Hosea. It says, Jesus says, But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness And all these things will be given to you as well. Okay? So he says, what does he say up there um, in verse 12? He says, it is time, in Hosea chapter 10, verse 12, it is time to seek the Lord. Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of his, and you will see these things come to pass. Don't worry about tomorrow, he's saying, above all else in your life. Above all else in your life. Let me say that again for emphasis. Above all else in your life, seek first the kingdom. That is an expectation of the Lord. Not after everything else in your life. Above all else in your life, seek first 
the kingdom of Christ. Do not worry about tomorrow. Do not worry about your, what you'll wear. Do not worry about what you'll eat. Do not worry about catching COVID-19. Do not worry about your job. Do not worry about your finances. Worry and be focused on the kingdom first. And all these other things that I will take care of in your life will be provided because now you are singularly fo focused on my kingdom. So don't worry about tomorrow. Above all else, seek the kingdom. And now we come to the last passage that I want to parallel out of Hosea. And it is Luke chapter 9, verses 57 through 62. Jesus is with his disciples. They're going along on the road. They're just walking. They're on a journey. And there are three dudes that come up to Jesus, and he has an interaction with them. And he points these dudes out, and it says, As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus replied, Foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Okay? He's like, even the animal kingdom has a place to go and stay focused on to care for, but I don't. Like, he, 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 says, he says to this guy, the most important thing in my life is seeking the kingdom of God, is advancing my kingdom. Then he said to another man, after he says this to them, this one guy says, I'll follow him, and clearly Jesus was pointing out, it's going to cost you everything that you have. You're going to have to put all that behind you. Now, does that mean that he wanted the guy to sell everything he had? No, it means that he wanted the guy to make the most important thing in his life the things of the kingdom. And then there's another guy, it says. He said to another man as they were walking, Jesus says this time, follow me. But he replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Sounds like a reasonable thing to respond. Yeah, you got to go bury my dad. And Jesus says to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. You cut this out, bro. He handled that. <laughs> Oh, it's almost there. <laughs> it's kind of nice to be able to stop here for a second. <clears throat> no, 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 no. We're about to get into the points, and I'm going to do one, two, three, four. Okay, so I'll be rolling through those pretty quick. It says, "Okay, so where was that?" So you go pro proclaim the kingdom of God. He tells this guy. Now, what you have to understand is this kid, this guy's dad probably was not dead. That just meant, let me go take care of business at my home until my father's gone, and then I'll come and follow you. But that's not even the important thing. The important thing is Jesus is making a distinction. There are spiritually dead people out there, and there are spiritually alive people there. If you're going to be a part of my kingdom, you're going to be alive spiritually, and you don't function like the dead people, the people who are dead spiritually. You go and you proclaim the kingdom of God. It is the singular most important thing in your life. And then there's still one other guy. And he says, still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. And Jesus replied, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. <laughs> so Jesus, man, he like what he does in this, this passage of Scripture 
is he takes everything that I said in the three previous texts, those parables, and everything in Hosea, and he crunches it all together and says it all in these few verses. An incredible teacher Jesus was. So he puts it all together, and he gives us the lion's expectations. Remember, he is the lion of the tribe of Judah. And here's the first thing. The Lord, you want to know what the Lord expects of you. How do you meet the Lord's expectations? I'm going to give them to you very quickly, okay? First of all, the lion expects you to make a decision to follow him. That's, like, that's an expectation of the king. Is he expects you to make a decision. We call this free will. He offers an invitation, and he expects you to make a decision. And that's what some people just need to do. You need to quit, like, wandering and going back and forth and acting like some of these guys in this story going, well, I need to do this. Well, I need to do that. And Jesus says, hey, bro, hey, sister, you want to follow me, make a decision. Just make one. Like, you can't let the world, like, hold you back. You can't let the things that are going on all around you. you got to stop and go, man, have I made a decision? Because it's clear that the Lord expects me to make a decision. He's given me a free will. He wants me to make a decision. So you want to know what the Lord expects of you? Number one out of the gate is make a decision to follow him. And you say, well, where is he going? I don't know. I don't know where he's going. He could take you anywhere. But you got to make the decision if you want to follow because you're going to have to leave what you're doing right now and follow him. He says, anybody who wants to be my disciple must sit down first and count the cost. You want to have his life, you got to lose your life. you got to make a decision that his life is better than your life. And the devil will fool you, man. He will trick you and make you think that your life is better than the life that he can offer. And there's no way. It is impossible. If Jesus is indeed God in the flesh... There is no way possible that you could live a better life without deciding to follow him. And sadly, many, are th- many think that there are, and they think they can have it both ways, and you can't. And that's what the book of Hosea has been teaching us. And Jesus is reinforcing it in the New Testament. Many people will say, Lord, didn't we do this? Didn't we do that in your name? He's like, I never knew you, man. You never made a decision to follow me. So we were never in relationship with one another. You never walked and hard after me. You never ran with me as the lion of your life. And so the first thing, it's plain and simple, is a decision is expected from the lion. Here's the second thing. The lion clearly expects you to seek his kingdom. Like that's an expectation of the Lord. It's not optional. It's not optional whether or not you seek the kingdom of Christ. He says, seek the kingdom of Christ. He doesn't say, well, if you really want to get the most out of the life, seek me. He says, if you want to be my disciple, this is the cost of being my disciple. My kingdom's got to be the singular focus of your life. It's got to be more important to you than your kingdom. That's why he says hard things like, you must um, hate your mother and your brother and your father and your sister if you want to be my disciple. Now, is Jesus really going to expect us to hate them? No. He expects us to love his kingdom more than anything, even if it costs us a relationship with people who are dear to us in our lives. That's how we have to approach it. He expects us to seek his kingdom. It is the central focus of our lives daily, every day, not one day a week, every single day. Every single day, once I make the decision to follow the lion, There's an expectation that every day I will make the kingdom the most important thing in my life. 
That means that the people I interact with when I'm having dinner with someone, I've always got rolling in the back of my mind the kingdom. That means as I make business deals and I'm thinking about those deals and the integrity of those deals, I'm always thinking about the kingdom. That means as I make a decision on whether or not my kids should go here or do this or do that, I'm always thinking about the kingdom. I'm not thinking about their kingdom. I'm not thinking about my kingdom. I'm thinking about his kingdom. Because why? Because he expects me to seek his kingdom first. When I'm thinking about my finances, what am I thinking about? His kingdom. When I'm thinking about my giftedness, what am I thinking about? His kingdom. His kingdom. His kingdom is always the thing that is to be front and center on our minds. Not when I get around to it. It is always, it is constant that he expects us to seek his kingdom. The third takeaway, and we only got one more after this one, and it'll give you the big idea, is the lion expects you to put your hand on the plow. (laughs) Put your hand on the plow, he says. And he says to the guy, if you put your hand on the plow and you keep looking back behind you, you're not fit for my kingdom. Put your hand to the plow and be ready to engage and work. Embrace the plow and to keep your heart soft, you keep working in the kingdom. Like, there's nothing glamorous about a plow. Uh, my son Jonah can tell you he's been rototilling a garden um, at, at a friend's house, at the Rafi's house. And with the big rototiller was down that goes on the tractor, and so he's going to have to rototill it with a small rototiller. He's like, yeah, man, I'll do that. And he got out there, and he put his hands to the plow. And he realized it's hard work to bust up ground. And he got halfway, and the rototiller is still sitting in the garden, and the rest of the garden hasn't been plowed. And so the takeaway is, Jonah, you need to finish the garden and make sure that you keep your hand on the plow until the job is done. And so there's nothing glamorous about a plow. It may look glamorous in the first, like when you first look at it, you go, man, I'm going to get out there, I'm going to till that garden. And you get out there and you start realizing that nice, shiny rototiller, man, it shakes your arms. Your arms get a little numb. Your shoulders get sore. And you're not making progress as fast as you thought you would. Don't look back, man. Don't look back. Just keep working the ground until you get finished. And then you put the seed in the ground, and the seed begins to grow. But there's still work to be done when the seed starts to grow because you got to keep the weeds out of there. you got to take care of it. you got to water it. you got to nourish it. you got to fertilize it. But eventually, man, the harvest is coming. And when everybody else is eating mushy, store-bought tomatoes, you are feasting on those big, giant toms. And your sandwich tastes better than everybody else in your cul-de-sac. And you get to give them away because you can't eat them all. There's too many on the vines. You're giving some of them away and you're blessing your friends. That's how the kingdom works. Man, we put our hands to the plow of our lives. And we don't look back. We keep ourselves focused. We've made a decision to follow Jesus. And we do the work of the kingdom. And we seek it every day. And the Lord starts to produce fruit in our lives. Because why? We are abiding in him. We are remaining in him. And he is the vine. And we are the branches. And the fruit starts growing in our lives. And not only is God blessing us. He's blessing us so much that we're blessing the people around us with the provision that is falling from our lives. <laughs> Man, don't look back. Stay focused on the kingdom. And, 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 and that's what he's saying to us is just stay focused on what I've asked you to do and your heart will stay soft by you continually working in the kingdom. Now, how do we work in the kingdom? And what is the fruit? Man, Like, it's simple. It's simple. 
make disciples that make disciples that make disciples. That's, that's the fruit. That's what we're supposed to be producing. Some 30, some 60, some 100. That just means that some will work with more people than others, and some will have an easier time at it, and be, maybe the Lord puts more in them and they produce more, but, they, but they're, they're no better than anybody else. We're all supposed to be producing. Because Jesus said as he departed them, he said, here's what I want you guys to do, man. The Spirit's coming. He's going to fall on you. He's going to give you power. And I'm going to provide for you through the Spirit. And the supernatural is going to go to work in your life. And what I want you to do is go make disciples and baptize them in my name and teach them everything I've taught you. and Reach all the nations with that. And so go and make a disciple. They can make a disciple. They can make a disciple. So that when you're dead... Your fruit is still producing because the seed fell on good soil. And the disciples that are still alive are making disciples that make disciples. And when they die, there are disciples still alive that are making disciples that make disciples. And when they die, there are disciples that are still alive that are making disciples that make disciples. Until Jesus comes back and says, the time is no more. This is all the disciples. He gathers us around the great Mary's Supper of the Lamb, and we eat together. It's a beautiful picture, man. Jesus, like, the Lord couldn't be any more simple and more plain. And we make it so difficult. It is a life of surrender, making a decision. And the big idea is this. Use, don't abuse the lion's provision. As the lion provides, he's providing for us to use it for the kingdom. And he's warning us, don't abuse it. The things I'm putting in you, I'm putting in you for my kingdom, not for yourself. Your salvation is about more than you. It's about the world. Because I'm going to use you within the garden that I'm creating to create the city of God. We start in in Genesis. We start in the garden. We end up in Revelation with a city. And the city is, is, is populated by the people of the kingdom as his disciples are made to follow Christ. That is the simple expectation for the lion for each one of us. And when we follow, he will shower us with his blessings of righteousness, which basically means righteousness is, is diakosine, and it means all that a man was originally designed to be, all that a woman was originally designed to be. He blesses us with that. Because we're walking in fellowship with him. We're walking in the covenant of grace. And we're being multiplied all around. So now you know what is expected of you from the lion. And my encouragement to you this Memorial Day is run with the lion and live, man. And live. I'm going to invite you to bow and pray with me. If you make a decision, I hope you'll share it through the connection online. Let somebody know. We want to celebrate what the lion is doing in your life and um, just encourage that uh, you chose to worship. But let me pray over you today, and and you'll have a chance uh, during Sean's last song to give and just to uh, encourage you in the Lord today. Father, we thank you. (laughs) We thank you for your word and the clear expectations. So simple. Help us to be people, Lord. Help us to be people who make the decision. We put our hands to the plow. We seek your kingdom. We stay focused and we don't look back and we use your provision to go therefore and make disciples. We love you, Jesus. We thank you for those um, who are part of the service today. We 
pray your blessing upon their lives. May they be fruitful in the kingdom, and we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Overland Park Community Church in Overland Park, Kansas. For more information, visit us online at www.overlandpark.cc.